This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets could have gone to a brand new White Hart Lane. But instead, they travelled to Wembley to face a Spurs side desperate to cling on to those top two places. This is a Known and Ever podcast. Oh my God. Oh my god, I can't believe what has just happened. Oh, okay. So, Billy just conceded a heartbreaking 90 something minute conceded goal against Spurs away at Wembley to lose a game that we just fought so desperately hard for. I'm absolutely like, gutted. Um, oh god, we defended for our lives and we okay let, let's be realistic here we, we came to this game to set up to try and get a point um, Deitch put five at the back and I, I don't think I've ever seen him put five at the back before I've never I've never seen that it was certainly different and I think his entire game plan was based on the realisation that we probably weren't going to be able to outplay them in open play but we could defend resolutely and um, a point or better would be a fantastic result and oh my god it, it so nearly worked um, I'm not normally a fan of this um, sit up and sorry, sit back and, and try not to concede a goal and just to try and get um, just a point out of a game but I think that was probably the right strategy today this is a really difficult fi- fixture as well, it's the, the first of two really difficult fixtures um, and it, oh god, it so nearly worked Um Oh, I'm feeling so. <laughs> I'm feeling so deflated right now. I really don't really know how to analyse that. Um, massively proud of our boys. I think the Burnley that we know and love is absolutely back. We've been saying this now for a couple of weeks. Um, oh God, why couldn't they just hold on for another two minutes? Would have been such an important point. Ah, okay. Um, massive positives from this game the boys defended so well it was a really balanced side everybody knew what the role was um, they worked as a team um, there was good discipline there was good energy about the squad um, God I sound like Dyche when I'm saying this but um, 
we didn't create much. We're never going to do with Ashley Barnes stuck up front on his own, but um, I don't really think that that was the strategy here. Um, not a massive fan at all of the ridiculous bookings that we got for time wasting and essentially just because the Burnley players didn't play the ball as quick as the Spurs fans wanted them to, but, you know, whatever. Um, I did very much enjoy the sarcastic and, uh, I guess, going <laughs> cheers at the end when Spurs, when they went 1-0 ahead, suddenly decided that they were going to time waste, which I think is ironic to say the least. Um, oh, OK, we were never going to win this game, were we? But well, we probably weren't going to win this game. But they battled really well, and I've, I'm, I'm really starting to see a, an improvement in this side, and I genuinely feel like we're going to be okay. Um, I think I need to stop sulking <laughs> and get back into studio time with the boys and the team on Monday night, um, and we'll analyse this properly. Billy's still outside the bottom three, and give another performance like that, and you never know. We could be riding high by the end of the season. Um, so, guys, I'll sign off for now and I will see you back in podcast mode. Hello and welcome to the No Name Never podcast. Yes, we are back in studio mode after that initial shock has worn off and the absolutely gutting reaction to Saturday's defeat away at Spurs has worn off. I am back here with the boys and we are going to talk through that game on Saturday and we are going to see what we can make of it. I am joined as ever with Statman Dave and with Robbie. Gentlemen, good evening. Hey. Good evening. Hey, 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 hey. You're so hipster, Rob. So hipster. Um, so let's dive straight in there because it's it's a bit of a funny one, really, because just the initial absolute heartbreak of Saturday has had to be lifted and we've had to really start thinking about um, and, and analysing the game properly and, and discussing what we did right, um, if there's anything that we could have done differently. Um, so, of course, we're looking at a, a Premier League game away at Spurs where Burnley battled very, very hard, but unfortunately came away with um, another defeat, um, leaving us still hovering at the time precariously just outside of the drop zone in the Premier League. It was a hard-fought performance. It was a resilient performance. And Dyche's strategy so very nearly worked. Um, I think one of the most common comments that we got in the national media was that that was a defensive display that we got so used to seeing against the top six sides last season. Um, So before we go into the nitty-gritty, Dave, what did you make of the game all round? Uh, I thought we were solid defensively, obviously bringing the extra central defender in, which was a a little bit of a shock when the uh, when the teams were announced, having um, Kevin Long in there along with James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee. Um, we hadn't seen Sean Dyche employ um, a defensive five with uh, three at the back, three in the centre and, well, loosely two wing-backs, although... I'm not sure you'd ever describe Phil Barsley as too much of a wing back. It was more of a maybe more of a flat five than a, a, a wing back system. Um, but you could tell, I think, from that uh, setup, from the uh, announcement of the teams coming out at uh, at two o'clock, that we had come for a point. Or, well, the, the best would be to to try and play on the break and uh, and, and get a goal that way. 
um, but it was a, a defensive setup, and it panned out that way. I think the uh, the, the setup worked reasonably well. We had um, apart from one or two moments uh, that Tottenham had, uh, Burnley managed to keep them at bay for the most part, and the plan was uh, was working rather well until, as you say, the last well in, into injury time, wasn't it? When uh, when Eriksson popped up, and it was a, a long ball from from Kieran Trippier in the end that uh, that did us. Yeah, it had to be, didn't it? It's been a weekend of ex-Burnley players and ex-Burnley strikers in particular coming back to haunt us, which I'm sure we'll go on to in, in a minute. Um, a couple of really important points that Dave's picked up on there that I do want to concentrate on more in this in, in this early analysis. Robert, the first one obviously was the shock announcement pre-game that Sean Dyche had adopted a five-man defence. Um it was different, and I, I certainly didn't hate it when I looked at the um, at the squad announcement. I, I was a bit surprised. Um, I'll admit to you all that my gut reaction was, oh, God, we're going defensive. He's going to go and try and eke out um, a point of the game, a point out of the game. But actually, when you consider all things equal, it was, it was probably the best strategy he could have adopted. Um, Robbie, this is definitely the first time we've ever seen I can't remember the time where we've seen a Dutch adopt that five-man defense um two questions um one did it work and number two did you have the right players in that defense or would you have swapped around uh yeah well I think it did work it doesn't matter if we got beaten or not I think it would it definitely had that Sean Dyche stamp on it in terms of the performance uh that resilience was back um, we pressed in little periods, which we're known for. Um, in terms of individuals, you would expect, if we were to do that in the future, I would expect Gibson to come in uh, instead of Kevin Long. But I think, obviously, Gibson's just come back from injury, so I think Kevin Long just gets the, the nudge in that one. Um, just like my reaction to when I saw the five, I'm not even joking. I actually thought it was a mistake on the graphic. <laughs> I thought they would put an extra man on, on there for a mistake, which was a... And then I started messaging you because I was just so shocked. And I weren't sure if, <laughs> I, weren't sure if I was like excited about it or whether it was just like, oh God, this is a shambles. I did start, I did read after the game, or certainly towards the end of the game, and then a little bit afterwards as well. I went back to our pre match messages that we sent, and I think I think we were both in a little bit of shock because they were a bit rambly, and I don't really think they made much sense. Um, just just carry on with that, that um, line of thought, though, Robbie, because you were particularly impressed with the performance on Saturday. You were um, really proud of the effort that they put in, and, and so that's got to suggest that whatever tactics Dyche adopted definitely worked. Yeah, it's, it's my biggest complaints about us this season is that we haven't had an identity of what we've been in the past and we've talked about the last few games having that back and I I actually thought for the first time it like I said before it had that Sean Dyke stamp feel to it um, and even though I was absolutely gutted and gut-wrenched when we got beat right obviously when Ericsson scored but I would take that feeling over the that feeling over what I felt after Crystal Palace any day of the week that's a really important point. And I think 
I think this perhaps mirrors how we felt after the Liverpool game, didn't it? We knew that we were going to get beat at home to Liverpool. We knew that we were going to get beat away at Spurs, but it was the manner of the defeat. And and rather than just cave in and just whimper out against a Palace and Newcastle size, which were, for me, really low points of this season and very disappointing to see, um, all I ever ask of these players is just go out with a fight <clears throat> because I want you to try everything you can. And certainly the Liverpool game, I want you to lose 3-1 up there trying to get a um, a draw out of the game rather than just lose 2-1. Um, Dave, obviously, Robbie was really impressed with that. And he, he's just I'm just going to go back to one of the points you picked up on in, in your analysis at the opening, uh, the opening stages. It was very much um, the decision to put Kevin Long in there rather than Gibson. Do you think it is purely a Gibson isn't fit yet? problem or I say problem a decision or do you think there's something deeper because Kevin Long to me has been playing really well this season yeah Kevin Long when he's come in he's um he's, he's done what's been asked of him he's, he slots into the system even you know he's gone you know maybe 10 12 games without playing he comes in and um he does what's asked of him we, we can't have any complaints about that um from Ben Gibson's point of view yeah there has been um, you know, trying to trying to regain his fitness, trying to trying to get back up from that perspective, and I'm sure we're going to see more of him this season. But for whatever reason, you know, Sean Dyche uh, deemed that Kevin Long was going to be the player playing in that system. You know, we could e- could easily have had um, Ben Gibson in there uh, from the point of view of um, you know match selection. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand why he's gone with uh, gone with Kevin Long, and I think as a as a three they work well. I think Tarky was probably the dominant one of the three in terms of performances. I think he put in um, maybe the more dominant performance, the more notable notable uh, performance of the three. Um, but I think in um, midfield, I thought Ashley Westwood had a had a really good game as well. I thought he um, he's come back into the side, and he's again one of those players with slots back in. Uh, and does what's asked of him. He's, um, he, he fits into the the Burnley system, the Sean Dyche system, and it's good that we do have players who come back in and are able to uh, to do that when uh, when they get their opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a huge fan of Westwood, and for me, one of the biggest concerns in the period when we were playing the Palace and Newcastle fixtures was a lack of bite in midfield and and for me Westwood was the answer he he very much reminds me of a a Joy Barton style figure he he's he leads in defense and he fights for the ball and he just provides a little bit of stability and I also think as well without a Westwood at his side Jack Cork can sometimes feel a little sorry can sometimes be left a little exposed he's certainly um creative well I say creative Jack's very much one that will try to surge forward won't he and he'll try and find that forward pass and sometimes that can leave a big hole in the central and midfield um when there's nobody there to, to pick him up and Westwood just does that for me um <clears throat> so I agree Fantastic performance on Saturday from Westwood and I would probably keep him in the side now. I almost feel like we need to find a way to to play um, Defoe and Westwood because it's just how do you ever leave Defoe out? It's it's really, really tough. Um, the only other question that I had then and I wanted to discuss about this defensive performance and this five-man defence was Charlie Taylor. Now, he's not improving for me um I think he has improved since he first joined us but he's 
he's not offering us, I don't think, a positive um, forward-facing role um, in that position. Stephen Ward does do that a lot. He can defend, but he will also get forward and he'll put crosses into the box. And at the moment, we're not miss, we're not getting anything from that um, left-sided defensive position, I guess. Um, just because Taylor does tend to get the ball and it frustrates me that he immediately looks for Ben May and just passes it back to him. Um, I think he's been struggling um, in the past few games. Now, this is very much my opinion and my um, analysis of the game. I know that there are uh, fans out there who don't agree with that and I've had debates with them and to say, well, what do you think he's doing well? Um, some people are saying, well, actually, you know, it's good that he's staying further back because it's it's, it's helping us in defence um, and it's plugging a gap within not leaving us exposed being, exposed being too far forward. Um, I don't agree with that because we've shipped a lot of goals, so I'm not really sure how that works. Um, and a lot of people are saying, look, he's young, he's learning his trade, you've got to give him time. He will be as good, if not better, than Stephen Ward in time if you just be patient with him. Um I just wondered when I saw that back five whether it would have been an opportunity to um, give Taylor a rest and maybe put Ben Gibson in the middle with Tarkovsky and Long and maybe bring Ben Mee back to, to left back to cover that position. Um, Robbie, is that absolute craziness or do you do you think Charlie Taylor just, just needs to stay in the side and, and work work through it? Yeah, I always believe in like team consistency, to be honest. And I think, I actually think Charlie Taylor has actually improved a lot. Um, I actually thought his, the performance on Saturday was probably one of his best, if anything. Um, and I, th- I do see him as more of an attacking fullback. Uh, I know that's what he was at Leeds. I think there's maybe Deitch's philosophy might be just holding him back. Uh, Deitch might just want him to be a little bit more solid before he becomes a bit more forward thinking. I know that Deitch did that with Trippier in his early days. Um, and I think a free at the back, I think Charlie Taylor's a wing back is well suited to that role. Um, so I thought that was going to be our main uh, source of attack if we, if, we, if we did ever get that opportunity. Um, and also, I, if Taylor was going to go out of that system. I would have thought Robbie Brady would make a good left wing back as well. Yeah, well, Brady played that position for for Ireland quite a, for a long time, didn't he? I'm, I just don't think we can do that. I think the only option that we've got if we need to give <clears throat> Taylor a break is to bring Ben Mee into that um, left back position just because if we take Robbie Brady off that left wing, we literally may as well have to play the entire game down the right side because we're just not going to get anything. If you if you ask um, Robert to, to defend that deep, um, look, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not suggesting that that's absolutely right. I'm not adamant in my decision. Um, it was just something I wanted to float with you all and just debate on the grounds that is just one player for me that I've been a little disappointed in recently, and I I perhaps haven't seen um, the improvement that Robbie has. Um, but I agree. I think that Robbie's right in that we need to keep an extended run in the side. Um, I just I would like to just see him get a little bit further forward, and I, th- I think that's something that will help the um, attacking threat that we've got. Um, which Dave on Saturday was was pretty non-existent. I think the national media picked up on the fact that, that we were pretty. Um, well, I guess the Spurs keeper had a very quiet afternoon with nothing to do. Now, 
we obviously didn't go out there to, to push men forward. We left Ashley Barnes up on his own, which I think was the perfect player to, to play that role. Um, but there were a couple of spots, wasn't there, where we could have nicked a goal. We did have a couple of chances. Uh, yeah, there were two chances in particular, weren't there? There was one um, uh, just before half time where Lloris uh, had a poor clearance. It went straight to Phil Barsley, who uh, got a ball across to Ashley Barnes. It was just a little bit too high for him, and he headed over. Um, and the second one, I think, was in the uh, second half, wasn't there? Sort of a, a bit of a scramble. Um, Burnley got a shot in. I think it ended up, it kind of deflected and came off Harry Kane. Um, but it was it doesn't count as a, a as a shot on target if it's blocked by a defender. Uh, but that was our our probably best chance in the second half. So there were those two opportunities, and you know we did go there with a, a defensive mindset, but with you know the, a, an opportunity to try and get um, a goal from whatever means. And the, they were two chances that we did have. Um, we were just unfortunately weren't able to uh, to convert either of them. Yeah, I think the, the first one especially, I had a bit of a ah moment um, just because that's the kind of, of ball that, that Sam Vokes would have buried every single day of the week, wouldn't he? So it was a textbook Vokes header, but unfortunately our Ashley couldn't, um, couldn't convert. Um, I guess from a tactical perspective, one of the issues and one of the complaints about this Burnley side that's been picked up by pretty much most of the national media from what I can see is Burnley's strategy to time waste and indeed we had two players um I think we had Bardsley and Brady was it um I can't remember I think it was Brady and Bardsley both booked um for time wasting very much at the um insistence of the Spurs crowd who quite frankly I think as Chris Borden put it were annoyed that but Burnley didn't want to play the ball just quite as quickly as they wanted him to and so I think the referee did succumb to a little bit of crowd pressure there um Robbie, Burnley have been criticised quite a bit from what I've seen in media reports for this game, um, this time-wasting strategy adopted in the game. Um, It's annoyed me incessantly on the grounds that Spurs have got players in their side who are some of the world's absolute worst at diving and cheating. Um, And nobody ever ever seems to criticise them. I think Spurs are the poster boys, aren't they, of of English football sometimes. And nobody ever dares criticise them for it. But suddenly a team like Burnley, who try and slow the game down to their advantage and play it at the pace they want to play it at, um, get penalised for that and get criticised in the media. Um, I, I don't... I just I don't really know where to stop criticising this blatant bias towards top six teams. It's hugely frustrating. Yeah, it's, it's weird that it's all seems to have come out now. Like, I remember our game at Anfield last year when we were, uh, I think we were 1-1 and I think it was Nick Pope's uh, full debut for us and he was taking a good 30, 40 seconds before taking a goal kick and that never really got like as much... Uh, national coverage as I thought it would do and then I noticed it on Saturday but I didn't think it was as bad and it seemed to all come out but it's like it's just part of the game like Newcastle did it when it comes to Turf Moor the other week and it's just it's a weird thing where it's to me it's just part of part and parcel part and parcel of the game it's just like when you go take the ball into the into a corner flag and you try and just kill the time that way and the only thing that annoys me is in terms of time wasting is when um, when you're making a substitution and players are trudging off the pitch but 
goal kicks and little things like that. I just think, yeah, it's just killing tempo. It's what, it's, it's what football is. It really is, and I, and I know we, we've expressed some frustration, I guess, when sides have done it to us, but we accept that it's part of it. And it just annoyed me that Burnley were particularly um, singled out for it. There's so much shade being thrown at um, Burnley in, in the reports from the, from the matches themselves. Um, Dave, surely, if that's the other way around... Spurs don't get any of that criticism, do they? If they if they go one nil up, for example, and they decide to slow the game around, which actually I would quite point out that they did, which was ironic to say the least. That once they did go one nil up, the last what two two and a half minutes of extra time, they time wasted like you wouldn't believe, um, and they're not criticised for it. It just, I guess, for me, it's the same old story that there's a, a there's just an imbalance between what each team can get away with, depending on whether or not they're in the top six. Yeah, there certainly seem to be some uh, double standards in there, depending on whether you're uh, one of the the glamour sides that uh, the press seem to fawn over. Um, I think we saw that as well. Not didn't want to hark back too much to uh, the Jurgen Klopp situation, but um, the uh, comments he'd made after uh, Liverpool had come to Turf Moor, um, and then some of the um, uh, instances that were reported after that. In terms of uh, you know sliding tackles coming in from him, his players and him you know div- giving it the double fist pump from the touchline, getting the crowd g'd up. So it's you know it is double standards coming in from um, individuals, but also double standards in the media. I think and you know we did see it. We we saw um, Matt Ryan doing it for uh, uh, for Brighton, didn't we? Uh, the previous week on the on the Saturday at Turf Moor. Um, it was almost like they'd uh, they brought a different player on after they'd gone a goal down because he was uh, uh, speeding up after that. But it was it's one of those things that happens in football, and it's difficult because there isn't kind of a um, a definitive line to say if you take this amount of time. I mean, actually, going back to it, there is in the rules for a goalkeeper. It does state about six seconds, and there is a rule in there, and referees never apply that rule. So we go all these situations about, you know, was it um, uh, a penalty for Burnley last week with the um, uh, with the high uh, kick on, on Phil Bardsley? It's like, well, you know, in, in terms of the um, specifics of the game, well, maybe it's not. But then there are specific things in the rules that referees aren't applying. So it, it's frustrating as a supporter when you see these things, but you know, at the end of the day, these things happen. Robbie made a valid point in terms of you know players going into the corner um, to waste time. That happens, and no one mentions anything about it. But when it's a, a top six side against a, a less glamorous side, then they do seem to make a, a lot of it, to, to my mind. And um, it's probably always going to be the case. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, <clears throat> okay, then. Well, let's. Let's flip this on its head and let's apply it to that spat that Sean Dyche had with Jurgen Klopp following the Liverpool game. And Dyche was adamant that he was furious about the level of cheating that's going on in the game and, um, you know, the, the, the blatant dives on the pitch. Is Dyche potentially in difficult ground here if he has deliberately set his side out to slow the game down and to time waste as much as he can, which isn't cheating as such. Uh, well, it's not cheating at all, actually. Um, it's just gamesmanship. Does he somehow discredit his argument or, I guess, 
weak in his position when he then um, tries to eradicate cheating out of the game. Because to me, there's a very fine line between what constitutes a cheat um, when it comes to things like diving or eliciting penalties from defenders and gamesmanship like delaying um, free kicks, taking as long as you can, trying to um, slow the game down. So how, I guess that's back at you, Robbie, what, you know, is, does Darch need to be careful here just to maintain his credibility? Yeah, a little bit. Um, like I think in terms of like the gamesmanship, I always said that Burnley like the Kings at that. Um, like, like you mentioned before, uh, Tottenham been all the majority of their players always dive into win penalties and whatnot. But if you look at like I've, we've mentioned it on here before, with Ashley Barnes winning cheap free kicks, Ashley Westwood does it, Jack Cork does it. You know, just sort of riding a challenge and waiting for contact, if you will. And I just, I just think we've got to be careful that we don't push it too much because I, I do think it does make like people turn against you. And I think we, we got a lot of plaudits last season for finishing seventh, and it's only recently where I've, I've really felt that majority of neutral football fans are actually starting to turn against us because Deitch is endlessly mauling about diving and refereeing decisions and all that kind of malarkey. Yeah, I think that's probably where I get to that as well. I don't. I think we can argue very distinct differences between the two. Um, diving on no contact to try and win a penalty or a free kick um, is cheating. It's outside of the rules. Time wasting isn't. Like you say, Robbie, there isn't anything in the rules. It dictates that um, apart from goal kicks, so it was you, Dave, wasn't it? Who who says apart from goal kicks that you have to play the ball at a certain tempo or or not? You know, take throw-ins and things. Um, and we got two players booked for it, which I just think is ridiculous. I think Phil Bars as well was particularly galling because. Um, he'd just been fouled as well. So it's like he was demonstra- remonstrating sorry, to, to the referee. So that was a little bit harsh, but <clears throat> let's um, let's not worry about it because next week there'll be something else that we're getting victimised about. And I don't really want to, to turn little old Burnley into being victims because quite frankly, we've got enough of an uphill struggle with this um, league as it is. Um, I think that's probably all I want to touch on. Or actually, I guess one final thing, Dave, back at you. Um how do we feel about the goal? I think Deitch was a little bit disappointed. Um, it did feel at the time that the defenders gave him so much space and just didn't deal with closing him down. Um, it's particularly disappointing when you're so close to the end because you just desperately want them to hang on for another couple of minutes. Um, do you feel that the, do you feel that it was a mistake defensively, or do you think just I guess fatigue and, and lack of concentration just just crept in? I think it was one of those things. It's it's very difficult to go to uh, a top top side like uh, Tottenham um, and you know keep a keep a clean sheet is difficult enough. And we've done re- done really really well, set ourselves up, been really um, organised and resilient all the way through, and then to be caught out by that uh, sucker punch at the end. I mean, we, we saw we won a two chance. There was one that sort of flashed across the goal, wasn't there? Which uh, I think it was Deli Alley was trying to get on the end of it and Phil Barsley sort of put him off and he, he put it wide. That was another chance they had. You're always going to have in those games, there's going to be probably three or four opportunities um, the other side you are going to have and you hope that they don't take any of them. As it was, they did take one. 
they could have done that in the fifth or the tenth minute. It was just a killer for us that it was um, you know, in the second minute of uh, of injury time, so late on after we'd done all the hard work, and it was you know you could tell you could look at the the players' body language afterwards. The picture of um, uh, of Tarky standing there, um, hand on hip. Uh, next to the post, Phil Barsley on the floor. Um, you know they they were dejected after that, and the uh, the supporters were the same as well. It was a a real killer blow after Burnley doing so well for so long in the game, and to get no reward for it was um, uh, was heartbreaking, really. Oh, it so was. They were so close. I'm so devastated. Um, I think looking back at the. Oh, I guess it always feels very easy to look back at a game like that in hindsight, don't you? And you just think, oh, maybe if we'd have just gone for it a little bit more, uh, maybe if we'd have just not adopted that strategy. If we were going to win anyway, we could have maybe gone, tried to score ourselves. But I think the danger with a side like Spurs is that they're going to get you on the on the attack, on the the um, counter, aren't they? And they're going to end up probably losing three or four, three or four nil if, if you try and do that. So as critical as I've been of Deitch in previous outings for being quite defensive and setting up for um, just a goalless draw and trying to get something, I do agree with his strategy on this occasion. I think it was the right thing to do. It's so easily, sorry, it's so nearly paid off. Um, but obviously we uh, we ended up losing. Um, one of the things that has um, oh, actually, Dave's waving at me. Dave, did you want to come in on this point? Yeah, I was going to say the um, the comparison was with the home game last season. We played Tottenham at Turf Moor, didn't we, just prior to Christmas? And they were they were rampant in that game, and Burnley just never got a grip of it. You know, they they won the game three uh, nil, could have been more. Um, and the turnaround from that to the performance um, at Wembley was. Uh, a real bonus for me, the fact that we managed to get a grip on it, and you know, perhaps we looked at that game. I'm, sh- I'm sure you know you, when when you you're playing a side, you look back at previous games against them, and Sean Dyche will have seen how um, Burnley failed to get to grips with Tottenham uh, last year in the game at Turf Moor. We you know we got the point down at Wembley, played them uh, after that um, in the home game, and I think there'll be some encouragement despite the fact we didn't get any points out of it that we were able to. Um, to to get a game plan together and, and action it, even though it didn't uh, result in a, a point or any points at the end of it. Quite right. Um, Robbie, do you have anything to add? Yeah, it's. I remember um, it sort of works around what Dave was just saying there. It's a few weeks ago, I think just before the last um, international break, we played Chelsea at home and Manchester City away. Didn't really know what our game plan was and conceded nine goals in two games. This time around, we played Liverpool at home, Spurs away, similar kind of fixtures, very, very tough, and only conceded the four. And you can you can see there's a huge difference, a huge uh, transformation in, in terms of the performances, the philosophy. There's a massive difference, and it's really good. To, I'm actually really, actually really happy to see us progressing now, and I actually think... I think you said it last week. I think for the first time this season, I actually don't think we'll go down. No, I don't either. I'm feeling really confident that we will survive. I guess the only thing that's worrying me in terms of our survival um, prospects is the number of games that we had to play that should have been winnable games in that early difficult spell of the season. So we've lost so far this season to... um, 
Palace, Newcastle and Fulham. We've lost all three of those games and they are teams that are down there at the bottom scrapping with us. And there just are not enough games in the Premier League of that type where they must win games, and especially those ones that were at home as well. Um, and I, I just really worry that we've potentially... Um, we're going to run out of games because you've got to play some of the bigger sides. And and whilst I'm confident that we won't go the rest of the season without either winning or getting draws against some of the top six sides, because I think we've got that game in us, um, they are bonus points and you're really relying on those nitty-gritty results against teams outside the top six. I think Phil Bird last week um, commented on that and said that our success of the last couple of seasons has been um, in those results with those teams outside of the, the, the top six plus Everton. So um, that's my only worry. And I think that was brought to home more with the really annoying um, result last night when Southampton managed to beat Arsenal um, to get a ridiculously bonus three points, which put us back in the relegation zone as of the end of the weekend. Um, And Robbie's so annoying that flipping two ex-Burnley strikers scored the goals to flipping put us back in the relegation zone. That's a disappointing result, isn't it? Yeah, as... It's funny, the day before I was like, oh, so Arsenal will get a result at Southampton. And then as soon as I saw Arsenal's makeshift back four, heard about Danny Ings coming back from injury, and it's his first appearance in so many games. I was, I think my re- reaction was literally like, oh no. <laughs> and then I saw Charlie Austin on the bench at 2-2, my reaction, oh no. And, <laughs> and then... Arsenal were pressing and pressing forward and then I think Shane Long started to break and I saw the ball went in, goalkeeper in no man lands and I thought, please don't be Charlie Austin. Oh, it's so awful. (laughs) Oh no, (laughs) 3-2. You didn't really say, oh no, did you? I think you censored yourself to a family-friendly show. (laughs) Yeah, the TV was out the window at that stage. I know. Um, I mean, Dave, I always forget sometimes that players like Danny Ings and Charlie Austin are ex-Burnley players and they weren't even Burnley players at the height of our Premier League success either. They were in the Championship and were having to, to obviously either stay back in the Championship or, or obviously win um, promotions. They were part of promotion campaigns, but Charlie Austin was sold just so he could survive as a business. Um, and to see them now to be the most ridiculous strikers that they are, it's, I just wish we still had them. Yeah, we know what they were capable of. I mean, they they both went on. Uh, well, Dan- Danny Ings left for for Liverpool. That was his decision, and uh, and Charlie Austin was sold, as you say. That was uh, uh, not long after Sean Dyche had come to the club. Um, but it was one of those decisions that was done for uh, uh, financial reasons. Thing we don't need to do anymore. He was probably the last the last one to go down that uh, that route, really. Um, but they are players who, on their day, they they know where the uh, where the goal is. We we saw um, both players score um, bucketfuls for uh, for Burnley, um, Charlie Austin in the uh, Championship and, and Danny Ings in in the Championship and the Premier League. It was interesting actually going back to the uh, the game yesterday. It was the first time that Danny Ings had scored twice in the Premier League. Uh, since he'd scored um, two uh, two for Burnley at Stoke, we went to uh, to Stoke and won two one. I scored two goals uh, reasonably early on in that game in the first half, put Burnley two uh, nil up, um, and then it was uh, the Alamo. If you remember, in the second half, uh, Stoke were raining balls in from uh, from everywhere, 
and Burnley gallantly defended and managed to get a 2-1 win. But that's over four years ago since Danny Ings had last scored two in a Premier League match. So uh, I'm sure he'll be uh, delighted. Yeah, I'm really pleased for you, Danny. Not. <laughs> um, well, let's let's move let's move away from the Spurs analysis because I think um, we've obviously wanted to create a shorter night, so we wanted to discuss some of the finer points of the game. But the the overriding feeling for both myself and Robbie and Dave is just immense pride at that performance and, and a real relief that that um, Burnley we know and love it is definitely back in business and, and is going to fight with everything that it has to keep us in this league this season. Um, before we move on, um, we've got a few, uh, well, we've got a couple of matters off the pitch to talk about and also preview next week's game um, away at Arsenal. Um, we had a bit of a fun feature on social media this afternoon just to give you guys a bit of a chance to get into the festive spirit. And we asked you on Twitter, if basically, if you were going to play Santa Claus, so I'm, I'm going to be Santa Claus, Santa Brommers, um, and I need to fill my sack full of presents that you guys are going to deliver to Burnley's players. So we asked you what player you would buy for and what you would buy them and why. Um, I'm going to start with the team here. Um, Dave, you've been keeping your secret. What what present, what present are you going to buy and for who? Well, I, I, I rack my brain on this, and your know, present should be something that's um, you know real special money can't buy, and what Uh-oh. can't what can't Burnley buy at the moment. A penalty, so I'd, I'd, I'd buy as a penalty oh, um, after sixty Premier League matches and over six hundred days without one. Um, I think we deserve it. As for who it's going to go to, I have no idea. I mean, we have scored um, penalties in other competitions in between. We've scored uh, a couple in Europe and one in the uh, League Cup against Leeds. But after this length of time, I'm not sure who'd be uh, who'd be taking it. But a penalty would be mine. I think we should give it to Chris Wood because then that, yeah. Yeah, that'd be the goal he needs to spark his season. Good thinking. I know. Um, producer Matt, he did send one of his. His is a little bit feisty, actually. He said he said he's going to give it um, a kick up the backside with a bow on. That was a bit. That was a bit much, Matt. That's why he doesn't come on the show. He just sends his little comments in our in our threads at the back. Um, Robbie, who are you going to buy a present for, and what's it going to be? Well, it's not quite a present. It's more of a, a thank you card for Joe Hart. Um, just because I think our goal difference would be an absolute disgrace if it wasn't for him. And also just to show that at least one Burnley fan appreciates him and loves him to pieces. Oh, well, I'll countersign it so he knows he's got two of us. So that's a good Me one. Me too. Yeah, three of us. Say we're starting a campaign, the Joe Hart Appreciation Society. Did you, um, so, uh, did you, go on. Uh, did you read a certain Burnley forum about player ratings and some of the ratings that Joe Hart got? No. I don't uh, read that for him. Uh, on, on, he doesn't like me not, very much. Not even joking. Some of the comments, some some posters actually actually accused Joe Hart that he should have done better for the Ericsson goal. Sure, <laughs> really. I'm not even taking the. Piss. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay, and that's enough internet for you today. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't. You know, there'll be some. If if if, if any of our listeners do have that view, and they do feel that somehow Joe Hart was at fault for that goal then genuinely just tweet me and I, I want it, I want sensible fans I don't want some just silly phrases just tweet me and let me know exactly what you think he could have done better because I'm genuinely interested with sensible fans who have got genuine reasons why Joe Hart needs to be dropped and let's let's talk it through let's have a little bit of, of a bit of a therapy session um so let's see what you guys said we put it out on Twitter and on Facebook and we've got a few here um John is going to give 
all of our players' shooting boots. Well, that's controversial. <laughs> Not really that controversial. Um, FPL Clara is going to give Deitch some strepsils. Okay, gosh. And you can tell that this, this question was put out on social media at the back end of a loss. There's some anger coming out on these ones. Um, Nathan Wall says, I'd get Chris Wood a map so he can find his own way back to Leeds. <gasps> Nathan, you don't need to. Because Robbie's going to gift, no, Dave's going to gift him a penalty and he's going to score and his season's going to be back on track. Oh, no. Adam Priestley says he's going to buy Tom Heaton a suitcase. No, we don't want Tom to leave. Um, Tom Whitaker, friend of the show, he said he's going to get Matty Vidris some tweezers for the splinters in his bleep. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Um, and Alex Jolly was said he's going to buy Defoe and Goodmanson a pair of strikers that can actually finish the balls that they put in. Well, all of these things are very, very sensible answers, and I do like them. Keep them coming. Do send me your suggestions. Um, I do have a very extra special gift to give to a certain player. Um, it's a personalised gift for a certain Sam Vokes, but um, this is a family-friendly show, so I'm going to keep my gift to myself. Um, um, a couple of things then that's... Um, been uh, I guess going on off the pitch this week um we've had some fantastic news since we were last on air that um Burnley's first team very much fronted by Matt Lawton and James Tarkovsky have joined the on the ball initiative to provide free sanitary protection for all the female um supporters who visit Turf Moor it's something that I've been campaigning for a long time for and it's something that I'm particularly keen on on seeing helped out in this country and I'm absolutely ecstatic that the club have chosen to, to join this initiative. I think we need to do more um, than just um, providing products at um, Premier League games. And I think essentially the reason being that the vast majority of girls who desperately, desperately need the help with this um, can't actually afford to leave the house and they, they can't afford to get to a Premier League game in order to pick up the um, items that they need. So we need to do more, but think the fact that the club has embraced this initiative and got it in the press and has created the headlines um, is, is absolutely fantastic. And it's going to go a long way to helping um, end and period poverty which is happening in the UK. Um, I've also gone a little bit further into looking into this initiative that the guys are doing, and they're also um, donating items to the Burn Bur sorry, the Burnley Community Kitchen Food Bank. So um, that's uh, exactly what we were looking for, just some some items for people. So if anybody out there, if you are listening to this and you know of friends, family, you may be working schools or you're involved in the community in some way and there are girls out there who are affected by this and are struggling each month to get themselves equipped with sanitary protection to get themselves to school, um, get in touch with the club, have a look at uh, what Burnley Community Kitchen are doing in the local food banks and see if you can help um the only other um aspect um that we needed to cover was of course the competition entries that phil bird um did for us last week we had the wonderful charismatic fantastic phil bird on uh, for those of you who've not listened do rewind and, and check it out and um, he ran a competition to win a copy of his new book um burnley fc on this day and that was i am delighted to announce one by bryn jones who is one of our long-time listeners i am very very pleased that it was won by um a listener we did open it to facebook and twitter because we did want to help phil promote the book as well we didn't want it to just be limited to the podcast um but actually in a wonderful twist of fate um a long-term 
um, listener won, won the book, which is fantastic. Um, thanks, everybody, for, for entering and keep your eye out in the new year for other competitions of that nature. Um, moving on before we finish this one, we're going to have a very quick look at um, Arsenal and Statman Dave is going to give us some head-to-head. Yeah, well, you you like this uh, section, Natalie. I know, and I do the little. Um, you give away our trade secrets. Oh, it's they, very they, red. They, there's a <laughs> lot of red on this week. Oh no! Yes, um, <laughs> the last seven visits Burnley have had to uh, to Arsenal. That's obviously a, a combination of matches to to Highbury and the Emirates have all ended in defeat. Um, that's going right the way back to uh, to 1975. Um, and you have to go back to the previous year for the last time that Burnley uh, won the away match at Arsenal. Um, and that was, we've touched on it, mentioned it a little bit earlier in the podcast, that was uh, Peter Noble, who scored the uh, winner in a 1-0 win at Highbury in September 1974. Um, but that's the only win between, well, between now and going back to 1964. So we've got a, a real, real bogey ground for us to go to. We have had wins um, at Arsenal going uh, going back over the years. We've had uh, nine victories in 51 games, but they have been few and far between in most Burnley fans' living memory. There were, we had a, a decent patch actually going back to the uh, late 50s and early 60s. Um, we did win in December 1959. Uh, by 4-2, we had a 5-2 win in December 1960, a draw in 1961, and then another win in May 1963. But after that, um, it has been um, a sea of red on the uh, on the charts here, and just that solitary win in 1974. I mean, going, going back to, to, to games in recent times, um, last season it was uh, Arsene Wenger's uh, last game, um, a heavy 5-0 uh, defeat that day later in the season. Uh, controversial one the year before that, uh, season before that. Um, Andre Gray scored a penalty for Burnley and then a, a late winner for, for Arsenal in that game when they were, I think they were down to 10 men, weren't they, in, the, in that match as well. Um, FA Cup game, we played them. Uh, Sam Vokes, if I remember rightly, uh, scored um, the first goal, but um, Arsenal came back and won that 2-1. So, slim pickings there. We've had the odd goal here and there. David Nugent scored one when Brian Laws was manager. Um, but we haven't had too much joy at Arsenal over the years. And unlike some of the um, some of the teams who've moved to new grounds, uh, we haven't had uh, any joy at the Emirates yet. So, hopefully, on Sunday, we can, uh, we can turn that around and get a, an early uh, Christmas present a couple of days before Christmas. That would be amazing. Otherwise, that was a very depressing feature, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We're going to need to find a way. I think when we do this in the actual podcast, I might get producer Matt to play some jingly bells in the background of the feature just to make it sound a little less harsh. Uh, yeah, Natalie's cheat sheet was very red then, I'm afraid. When I opened it, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is horrendous. Um, so not not an awful lot to cheer out from the history books. But, Dave, what's your gut feeling on Saturday? Um, given how well we played against Spurs, is it, it is Sunday, isn't it? It is Sunday. Sunday. Sorry, guys. I'm going to send you to the Emirates a day too early. You'll have to go Christmas shopping in London instead. Um, although I hope for your sakes, anybody who's travelling down to the game this weekend, I hope for your sakes that the weather's not as bad as it was this weekend. I think I drowned in the London rain and I think <clears throat> eagle-eyed, eagle-eyed, 
eagle-eared listeners. Is that a thing, eagle-eared? Those people who can hear well are probably picked up on the fact that I'm not particularly speaking very well tonight because I'm full of a cold because of Spurs rain and London rain. You've got me wet and, and miserable and crying about a conceded goal and I've not been well since. Um, Dave, assuming that we um, play the same formation, the same team and adopt the same tactics on Sunday, can we get anything from the game? Um, we certainly can. I think um, looking at Arsenal at the weekend, uh, Tottenham look a better side than Arsenal. So you know, you, on on the day, I think if uh, if they have a really good game, uh, we're going to struggle. But you know, on, on any day, we can we can beat any other team. I think um, you know we we do one against Arsenal. I think we're talking about penalties. I think maybe a, a, a last minute penalty, whether it's deserving or not, to Burnley would be. Uh, Payback for the other times, but look, looking back at, um, at omens, um, we mentioned about Phil Bird's book. He's actually written about the um, the last Burnley win uh, at Arsenal. It was actually a game that was on um, match of the day, and uh, I don't remember this. I'm 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 far too young, uh, Natalie, uh, as are you. Um, but it Me was, too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it says the when we beat Arsenal back in 1974. Uh, the nation was gripped by gale force winds, so if we're, uh, we're hoping for uh, an omen with the weather, then perhaps that might be uh, that might be an omen for us for Sunday. It's a sign. It's a sign. Please give us anything. Do you know what? I, I kind of feel. Oh, do I feel this? I'd feel a little bit sorry for uh, Emre. Uh, Emre is that how you pronounce it? Um, if we do go to the Emirates and, and manage to get something like an offside handball dodgy goal because it wasn't really his fault. And I quite like this new Arsenal manager. I almost wanted us to get uh, retribution on, on Wenger before he left. Um, Robbie, do you share our belief? How are we going to look forward to a, a 97th minute illegal penalty to win us a, a three valuable points down there? No. Oh. <laughs> well, who's a big party pooper? <laughs> I think it's going to be an inevitable Arsenal reaction uh, after their game on Sunday. I, 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 I just think it would just be a bit similar to what we witnessed on Saturday. The resilience would be there, but I just think Arsenal will have too much for us on the day. Well, what a depressing end to the podcast. Sorry, guys. I was expecting better from you there, Robbie. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> now I'm going to have to leave our listeners in an uplifted, positive mood to go off. Um, I'm with Team Dave. I am Team Team Stato Dave. Um, I think that this is going to be the game that all of the stars align for Burnley in a waterlogged, horrible, wet, windy London, and we're going to beat them, and it's going to everything's going to be fine again. Um, that is all we have time for, I'm afraid. Um, I actually thought we were going to end up doing quite a short podcast this week just because there wasn't a massive amount to talk about from the game. But um, just because of my fantastic co-hosts here this evening, we've managed to um, have a good analysis of the game. Do tweet us your thoughts if there's anything that we didn't cover that you want us to look into more in future games or if there's something that we've said that you don't agree with or something that you do agree with and you want to share it tweet us, send us an email, drop us a line on Facebook, just get in touch. We like to talk to you guys and we like to hear what you guys have to say. Um, 
as ever, I am surrounded by, well, we are surrounded by a fantastic team here at None and Ever. And I want to thank the team for helping us produce another podcast this week. Um, first and foremost, producer Matt, who has put together this edit this week. And I, I think he's been quite busy at work this week. So we're even more appreciative of this week of, of uh, being able to help us out. Um, Statman Dave and Robbie for really helping me out on this podcast this week and, and taking the, the, the brunt of the talking so I could try and save my voice. Um, and thanks to who else do I need to thank? Um, that's it, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's the whole team. <laughs> I'm not going to thank myself. I'm going to thank everybody else. So, um, final thanks as ever then go to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is appreciated and we would not be here without you. We will be back next week with a look over the Arsenal game. We'll try and get it out in time for Christmas Eve if we can. Um, because obviously we're a bit conscious that everybody's going to be up and about. Um, there's a possibility we might do two. We might put together the Arsenal game and the Boxing Day game just because taking people's time um, around the Christmas period to record is going to be a tough ask. Uh, but we will let you know when the episode comes out. Um, I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Never podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.